Hello and welcome and happy Friday. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, with David Cooper, and I'm your host, David Cooper. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, the show where no one's listening and no one cares, the show where every episode's the last episode. So why don't we enjoy this final episode, at least until Mondays. I'm here with expert in family and marital therapy, Gary Dierenfeld, for Therapy Thursdays on a Friday. You can find out more about Gary at YourSocialWorker.com. Got a few spicy topics to discuss today, so let's jump in. I'm excited to talk to you. What have you been up to? You know, I lead a boring life, David. And and the truth is, I, I tell people, aspire to boring. <laughs> because, right? Because that means nothing bad's happening. That's okay. That kind of strikes with me because I felt my life was very boring in my early 20s. And so what did I do? I swirled everything up with like partying, drugs, uh, dysfunction. Yeah, yeah. I got divorced. I just, and I thought having all this crazy dysfunctional crap about me would make me interesting. That's the real trap, right? And people aren't used to boring, particularly if you've come from a lot of drama, trauma, upset. Uh, in Jewish, we'd say a lot of broikas. Broikas. <laughs> It was just like, I didn't have to go to a party and actually be dynamic and interesting. I could just be like, I'm 26 and divorced and have a drug problem. And then I, in my mind, I rounded up to interesting. But then when I'm like, this is not sustainable. I rounded up to interesting. And I clear out the drugs. I clear out the dysfunction. It's like, oh, you actually have to like do work to have interesting hobbies and stuff like that. Yeah, but I, I have to let people know it's okay to be boring. Yeah. It, it just means your life's likely in order. And there isn't chaos anywhere. That's a good thing. But if you're used to chaos, you can't handle calm. Yep. And it's something to relax into. It's what you've been aspiring to, for crying out loud. I have. Because when you're boring, you set up the circumstances where you can actually be creative, where you can actually do good work. You can be a highly yeah. productive professional. Like your you're life getting along with people. Exactly. And you can actually like succeed in things and achieve things from a base of boring. Yeah. Aspire to boring listeners and if you're uh if, if you if you if you're attracted to things that aren't boring you can go on the radio have a podcast be like me talk to people that aren't boring for you you can be a therapist you can see clients who are probably anything but boring oh they are anything but boring and you know the goal is to get them there and you know what they're grateful when we do okay well let's see you do a lot of couples therapy do you not i certainly do i met with such a lovely couple uh last night huh? and Honestly, when we started, they were anything but boring. We explored the background and how that played into the issues of the day. And they, they did such good work because when I met with them again last night, it was a second meeting. They were taking responsibility for themselves versus projecting blame all over the After place. After just one session? Yeah. Oh, well, my God. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. My sessions run three hours. <laughs> I mean, three hours and you're cured, it would seem. <laughs> They well, they did the work. I mean, I got to give some credit where credit's due. They, you know, I'm not that. We talked about this before we came on air together. I'm not the therapist that sits back and says, 
Hmm, how do you feel about that? I mean, oh my God, all, all my clients, they all know how they feel. They feel like shit. That's why they're calling me for God's sakes. <laughs> and so they to say, well, how are you feeling? Like, am I an idiot? I know how, how they're feeling and they don't want to feel like that. And so we go into like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do differently? And I actually offer them suggestions, recommendations, tools. And assuming they go home and they do those things, things typically improve. So these people wanted to do the work. They just had problems and didn't know necessarily what the tools were to fix them. Yeah, that's right. And what was getting in their way. Wow. And, you know, and how in a way their upbringing, like sometimes the behavior that's appropriate as a child, because it helps you to manage awful situations. Now that you're an adult, that same behavior isn't appropriate. But that's all you know. Gary, I was talking to someone on the show, Natasha Vinnick, uh, earlier, and she was saying how when she was little, she lived in such a chaotic household with her parents always screaming and stuff that whenever there was dysfunction around her, she had to freeze. Because if yeah. she said anything, yeah. she'd be picked yeah. on. If she said anything, she'd be yelled at. Keep your head below the bar or it's chopped off. So at the sight of any conflict or, or worry, she would just freeze like a deer in the headlights. And that was a great way to deal with it as a kid. Now as an adult, she's really great at freezing when the going gets tough. And it's a mal- maladaptive. Is that the right Maladaptive. Word? Yeah. As an adult. Yeah. Because your partner is looking for you to engage. Yeah. Assuming your partner is safe. You know, I, I was very lucky last night because the partner is was safe and so so the one one person could say their concerns and the other person took it in respectfully and said oh okay i can see how you could feel that way okay i don't i don't have to do that like oh my god so i i actually had to point out you know whereas in your childhood you weren't safe if you were to speak your truth you'd get hurt you speak your truth now and it's honored like that is safety. Wow. And it, and and like to to be able to look at that in front of you. It it I had goosebumps all through that meeting last night. I, it was it was wonderful. You got a boring life and you get to do interesting work. That's see the boring <laughs> life is a great base to be not boring is I guess what I'm trying to say. Maybe. You know, I I used to do high speed power boarding. Um, and now I got a real fast sea do So I do get my yayas out that way. <laughs> I have every Jewish mother's nightmare, Gary. I have a motorcycle. Oh my goodness. Yes, that is every Jewish mother's nightmare. So do you have tattoos? Uh, yeah, several to Gary. I've got an elephant on my arm. I've got a, a facade of where I got engaged with my ex-wife, uh, Park Guell in Barcelona, the facade of the church at that park, tattooed on my arm. My ex-wife has it on her boob. She might have changed it. I don't know. I changed mine a bit. <laughs> That's also a, every Jewish mother's nightmare that their kid gets tattooed. Whenever she sees my ink, she's like, you can get that removed, right? And I'm like, mom, I've had them 10 years. I'm not going to get them removed. She's just like, it's like she doesn't believe I have them, even when she sees them. I don't talk much about our son because I respect his privacy, but I will tell this story. Uh, he's 38 now. This was when he was in second year university. He's coming home for some long weekend or whatnot. And he phones us to warn us. I said, son, what do you, what's the problem? He says, well, I, I got a, an eyebrow ring. <laughs> And, and I, I guess he expected I was going to flip out on him. I said, okay. Do I have to get one? Yeah. <laughs> I said, okay. I said, you know, you're going into finance. You, you may just want to be mindful 
when you're going for a job interview whether or not you want to have it in. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying you may want to be mindful about that. But as for you getting an eyebrow ring, that's fine. It's your eyebrow. I I, free, I think I freaked him out. <laughs> I'm sure you did. In 2010, around when I got my first tattoo, I was in the tech industry in Silicon Valley. Uh, the CEO, then CEO, not Elon Musk, crazy person, of Twitter, uh, Jack Dorsey, he had arm sleeves. It was actually okay. common to have a lot of tattoos, even at the high-performing um, you know, senior people within that industry, but finance hadn't caught up. I think nowadays in the big cities, New York, Toronto, you can have tattoos and be in finance. I think very few jobs you can't anymore. You can you can have tats and be a doctor. You can be any kind of professional. Changed, yeah. It it's a different world. It never bothered me on a personal level. No. So you, t- you talk about your CDU getting your thrills. I want to tell you a story because my the first therapist I went to, he's got to be dead, this guy. It was in Toronto. His name was Gerald. I won't say his last name just for his privacy, I guess. And he was this older Jewish guy, very thoughtful, very pensive. This is already so stereotypical. Yeah, he would take calls <laughs> during therapy, and one time he picked up the no! phone. And he had a secretary. No! There was like three shrinks in the office, and they shared a no! secretary. And uh, I'm apologizing to every person out there whose shrink took calls during therapy or fell asleep. I'm going to get back to thrills, but my favorite boundary-setting exercise was nothing he did with me, although he did great work with me setting boundaries with my parents, my friends, my then-girlfriend. He picked up the phone during a session, and he said hello, and then the person started talking, and he said, this is not a conversation I wish to pursue, and then he hung up the phone. I said, who is that? He said, oh, a telemarketer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so very soft-spoken, very nice guy, like very kind of like like you, but muted, you know? Like you're a very warm guy, but you're more dynamic. Um, One morning, a car cut me off driving to therapy, and it was like a psycho running a red light, And and it was just as I was getting to the office, and the car turns to go in the parking lot, uh, and then I go to in the parking lot and I see it's my doctor, my therapist, and he scur- oh, come on. he scurries into the office and I ask him about it and he starts bursting into laughter. He's like, you caught me. It was my morning thrill. <laughs> uh, when I'm not wearing the white coat, I'm an asshole. <laughs> yeah. He was maybe 40 years older than you. If he's still alive, he, he'd be 110 by now. He must have been 90 when I saw him 20 years yeah. ago. So so my I, I show my alter ego when I'm boating. Yeah, I like going hell-bent for shit over rough water on Lake Simcoe. Okay, so you're not cutting off other boaters, but you're you're, no! you're attacking hell the waves. No. I'm attacking the waves. Wow, wow. What but we... you can get your yayas out if you want. Certainly but, can. Motorcycle but still wings. have a boring life otherwise. But boring, you know, all I mean is you're getting along with people. You're not creating conflict and if conflict comes your way you're able to manage it without getting your knickers in a knot okay i want to get to some of the ways in which you shouldn't be not boring um but on this boring thing i don't think of it as boring i think of it as a is a stable foundation from which to have an interesting productive i great way of framing it because that's what it is that's great it's it's like I, i've done the show where i'll have like someone i had my friend's a sex worker she's like uh she does mm-hmm. porn and I had her on the show, and it was like salacious. I was talking. She she's a professional sexter, okay? So men pay money to send her text messages, and then she sends messages back. It's free to receive, but they got to pay. And she's it was just like we were going really deep, and I was talking about my sex life and this and that, and it was like a fun dynamic interview. And then a few weeks later, I went to dinner with her, 
And she's like, David, you're one of the most boring people I know. It's like such a lie that you act this way on the air. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I focus on the work. I'm interested in the work. I want to be outrageous when we're doing the work. But when we're just friends having dinner, like I'm not that interesting a guy, dude. <laughs> Me either. I'm pretty quiet. All right. So here's a way in which someone shouldn't be boring. You wrote about it. Uh, it was a, something you titled Mixing In on Your Ex's oh, New yes. Life. So if you've had a breakup and you do not think very highly of their ex, you think there's some behaviors, some personality traits, whether your perception of reality is correct or not, or somewhere between correct or not, who cares? But you think your ex is a douchebag, a user. Well, yeah, I, I, I meet with a lot of persons um, who have pseudo-diagnosed their ex as a narcissist. Mm -hmm. And they want to warn the new partner. It's a lot of armchair diagnosis of narcissism in our society right now. Huge, huge. But having said that, it, in truth, it does seem rampant. And amongst my colleagues, we are seeing more and more and more of that. But having said that, so the call to me is, should I warn my ex uh, or should I warn my ex's new beau that my ex is a narcissist? And it's like, no, don't, don't mix in. Don't be doing that. You got to know that your ex has already framed you as the crazy one to, to their new partner. And if you start mixing in, that will be your ex's evidence that you have no boundaries, that you are crazy, and it will backfire big time. And the new partner will align more, more with your ex, with you as the enemy. Don't do it. Yeah. No, my ex-wife did that to Miranda about uh, nine years ago. Oh my God. So you lived it. I, I lived through it. I, I had met my girlfriend, Miranda. I was in an open relationship with my ex. My ex knew I was dating Miranda. Uh, and then her and I started fighting. And, the, and then we kind of like, I cut it off with Miranda. She cut it off with the guy she was seeing. The idea was we would work on the marriage together. Uh, cutting out these other people we were seeing. And then the marriage exploded and we, we moved out from one another. Um, and then she reached out to Miranda to say it was never okay from the beginning that I was seeing Miranda. Uh -huh. and she just wants her to know that I'm a liar and that it wasn't okay. A liar and a cheat. Yeah, which is like so unfair. Uh, they ended up meeting about eight or nine years la later and they were cordial. But um, yeah, it was like, it didn't make me and Miranda stop seeing each other. We live together now. It just was... It felt like she was hurting and she wanted me to hurt too. Okay. Um, so that that's, you know, that's your situation. But more frequently for me, it's, uh, first of all, it's it's never been a guy. Should I warn, you know, my ex's new guy friend? It, it's always a woman who's asking me this, uh, concerned for her innocent sister and uh, wanting to do a solid for her. And, and it, you know, are you truly trying to do a solid or are you trying to undermine your ex? Or maybe you can kill two birds with one stone on that one. But in any event, I've only ever seen it backfire. Uh, so manage your boundaries. Don't get enmeshed in what's no longer your business. Carry on and live your life because you'll be a lot better off for it i think there's extenuating circumstances if the person's violent like but i think for the run of the mill he's just a jerk and it ended in a way i didn't like um yeah i, I think well i mean what are people trying to get from that what are they trying to accomplish the old partner to not be with someone for like what well i i think you know some of the folks the some of the women that i'm meeting with who are asking me that kind of question um where are they trying to get out of it they 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 worry uh legitimately yeah 
for what will befall this of uh, this next woman and you know they want to be preemptive on on her behalf it it's not malicious you know it's in the conversations i've had it, it's typically coming from a good place but you know, what's that saying no good deed goes unpunished yeah yeah jewish right? wisdom <laughs> so so I, you know, I counsel against it. And, you know, I posted on that on my professional Facebook page. It was amazing the comments that came back that were validating of my perspective um, from those who had tried it. Oh, interesting. You'd think that people would fight you and be like, no, I have a right to tell the new partner. Of well, uh, listen, I, I'm never so strong that, you know, you want to go ahead and do it, do it, see what happens. So so I'm I'm never controlling with my feedback or my guidance here's what i do here's why i suggest it up to you what you want to do yeah but there, there are those that who you know prior to reading this on on my facebook page have done that and validated yeah it came back tenfold worse against them and it did help their ex and the new uh bow align against you know that that woman who tried to warn her um so you know I, I, I do learn a few things after 40 years of working with people. I'm sure you do. Uh, this this whole idea of warning people um, about others' behavior, it got me thinking on something that is, I've brought it up with a lot of people and it's a controversial thing. And I don't know that you've actually dealt with it in your counseling. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. I'm just curious how you would weigh in on this. Um, I don't know if you relate what I'm about to say or, or the dilemma I'm about to pro propose to what you're saying about warning an ex's current partner. Um, but it got me thinking on these lines. And here's the problem. If you have a friend and you find out their partner has cheated on them, what do you do? Or if you have a friend who's a cheater, maybe you're not mm. close with a partner, but you're close with a friend, uh, and you catch the friend cheating. So either the friend's partner cheats or the friend cheats. Do you warn the partner? Do you warn the friend? I know that was kind of confusing. These are, these are such moral dilemmas. I know. And, you know, there isn't, one single answer, you know, the answer is, and I, I hate to say this because it sounds like a cop-out, but the answer is it depends. Sure. Uh, and and so I have told friends of mine, uh, quit, quit your affair. You know, everyone's going to get hurt with this and you're going to have to figure out what the hell you're doing. And when I say that, I, I'm coming from a place of truly being concerned. People don't realize typically how harmful an affair is that breach of trust and uh, it's hard to claw back from <laughs> you, you you don't want to go there and then if it is found out and i don't know what the stats are in terms of the numbers that are found out or not but when it does it's just uh oh this is good we're on a podcast so i can swear fuck it, it's just a fucking shit show yeah right and to overcome that trust it can take years to never even if the relationship survives and to the person who had the affair they may feel like get over it what do you mean get over it how dare you you betrayed my trust um there it it's such a long road back and and people don't realize that you know okay so maybe the relationship isn't good but don't make it worse i get it 
Yeah, I have strong feelings about affairs. I, I have a friend. He's one of my closest friends. So he's up there at least. Um, okay. And I'm on vacation. And me and Miranda are together. And I'm like, hey, why don't we meet for dinner? You happen to be on vacation in the same place. I have been to my friend's wedding. I'm friends with my friend's wife. Like I've gone out to dinner alone with my friend's wife. No, no funny business there. Yeah, don't drag me into your affair, buddy. Don't, don't make me keep secrets. And he shows up with a woman. He just shows up with a random woman. Talk about narcissistic. Come on, that is so self-centered. I've got to deal with like my girl. Now I've now this question of do I warn the wife? It's like now a debate between me and Miranda. You've just put me in a situation, buddy, where I have to keep secrets uh, from someone else that is my friend. That is so unfair. I sat him down. I, I ended up not telling his wife, and I'm at peace with that because that's I'm gen generally of the opinion that you don't warn the other person. But that didn't stop me from saying my piece to this friend. I, I lectured him. I said, hey, like, maybe give me the heads up before you yeah. are having this dinner with me with a woman that you're cheating on your wife, who I know with, and my girlfriend's there. So now it's like, do I condone this behavior or not? That's what Miranda's thinking. Um, I'm like, maybe give me the heads up and be like, don't ever do that again. And, and see, like, don't be an idiot. Stop cheating on your partner. Yeah, I, I, I have a firmer boundary than that. I, I would have said, we're not doing this dinner. This isn't what I'm walking into. Oh, you would have walked out. I showed up and she, I mean, maybe I should have done that. I just, I was I, so. I'm not telling you, you should have, but look, in fairness to you, these things are overwhelming. Yeah. We are, some people are so inappropriate that they throw us into their situation with no empathy, no thought about how that's going to come across. Yeah. You learned something about this friend of yours and about their own issues. Yeah. Big time. Big time. Yeah. I'm sorry for you. I, I uh, David, I am sorry for you. I am sorry for you. It was like it was like eight years ago, Gary. It was a long time ago. But this guy cuts me out of his life for about six months because he's like, oh, I was nervous having you around my wife. Uh, well, no kidding. Yeah. Like, I are you that like, short sighted? So you cheat on your wife. You drag me into it. I don't. You don't get any consent. You just this dinner's happening with the woman, and now you're cutting me out of your life because you're scared I'm going to get you in trouble. It's like you're punishing me for your own bad behavior. He's a shithead. I don't talk to him much anymore. Well, like I said, you've learned about him. Is this someone who you who you really want in your orbit? Because, you know, Mary Angelou, you know, when people show you who they are, believe them. I, I guess. I mean, I'm still friendly with them, and I never told his partner. Maybe I should have. Some people think you immediately tell you have an obligation to tell. But I'm like, I don't want that kind of responsibility. It's a moral moral dilemma. I don't believe there is the right, the wrong. It's situational and I appreciate that people have to make their own decisions on that. And there isn't a good one. Yeah. There isn't a good one. I'm with you on that. I don't judge people for the disclose, but I, I'm on the side of not. Because if we go back to this mixing in on your ex's new life, warning the partner, what you're saying is if, if you reach out to your ex's new partner and tell them he's crazy, yeah, that may just re like like make them stronger. What that might end up happening, if you tell someone about cheating and then the person lies and said, I didn't do it, they end up getting closer because of it and cutting people out. You can actually do some damage by telling, uh, yeah. even if they stay together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my, my personal thing is I will confront the person who's in front of me doing the misdeed. Sure. Um, uh, but personally, I don't otherwise mix in. Uh, if you could just stay on the call but, after this but, is 
done. Gary, I want to talk to Arlene for five minutes. I have something to tell her uh, that I saw you doing the other week. <laughs> she knows me too well. I, my my hair would be on fire if I were to do something like that. Like I, I'd be so guilt ridden that I'd never be able to look at her. I don't have the How, energy for like, one partner. You know, it's like for me, it's like two. I gotta first of all, I gotta you gotta the web of lies. The amount of energy to keep the web of lies propped up in oh your head. God. And I, my wife and I, we lead very transparent lives with each other. She can sit at my computer. I don't care. She knows all my passwords. She could pick up my phone and do whatever she wants with it. And likewise, me with her, because we're not doing anything we shouldn't do. Yeah. Go to the bathroom, get a Pornhub <laughs> premium account, pay money, get the good stuff, get good headphones, stay in there for 15 minutes, whatever you want to do with yourself, disgusting, do it. Go back to your marriage. Don't cheat. I mean, is, is it really that hard? <laughs> You, you're right. Too much, not enough, <laughs> right amount. So, so look, you know, even if you are looking at porn, uh, <laughs> hopefully you can be transparent about that with your partner. Well, that, that, that is actually right? a great thing that I want to talk to you about. Okay, go Before we it. go, porn in relationships. I'm of the mind that if your partner's uncomfortable with you watching porn, that that is like insane level of controlling. But some couples, it's like, no, my, my husband or my wife, she can't watch pornography. That's the same as cheating. So again, these are moral dilemmas and every couple has to find out their level, you know, where they're comfortable with that. Uh, so I don't have any hard and fast rules around that for anyone else. It's you got to figure out what you're comfortable with yourself, period. I agree with that. I just, I don't know that I could be with someone who's like, you can't look at pornography. I'm like, oh, well, that's fair. That's your decision. That's your life. I'm like, you're not home all the time, sweetie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember back in the day, my dad had a stack of Playboy books. You know, that's what it was back then. I, I, I'm not saying it's right. And, and there is misogyny that's absolutely involved uh, in much of pornography. Sure. Um, but having said that, it's also ubiquitous. It's mostly men looking at the porn. I, women are getting slowly turned on to some of it, but this is mostly a male thing. You're right. You're dead right. I just, uh, some people, like, they find that the idea of their partner watching pornography, like, unacceptable. And I'm just like, I, that's not how I see the world. And listen, I, I meet with uh, couples where that is the discussion. And I, again, I'm, I'm not coming in judgmentally on that. I, I'm coming in on how are the two of you going to cope with this? What are your decisions going to be? How are you going to manage? Um, does this otherwise get in the way? Uh, what are the, you know, what is the context of some of that porn? Because sometimes the context is worrying some uh, to the partner. Sure. If it's like, like really violent or really like, you know, obscene like that um, or very like strange in a way. <laughs> yep. And there are those that, you know, we'll look at anything from the porn industry as an indication of misogyny and uh, subordination of women. It's built into the, the whole industry. And, you know, do women have free choice? Do they not have free choice? And where are they coming from when they engage in this behavior? Yeah. So it's a huge subject. Huge. It's, uh, 
it's sort of like plastic surgery, right? Like people say it's my choice, but like, is it the weird views of society that are causing you to come to that? That have given rise to this. Like knowing a couple people that work in the adult entertainment industry. I know one male, he does gay porn and two, two women. One has like an OnlyFans. She's an independent creator. The other does like mainstream production company stuff. Knowing these people, it, it certainly changes my view of like, I don't feel like these people are being exploited. Right. Because they're look, they're making they're making choices, but there's a lot of porn made with like people who are sex trafficked. Like there's there's tons of pornography that is blatantly misogynistic, awful. So I think it's both. Part of my view of porn was shaped when I was a much younger social worker, and I was uh, working with a young gal who was I don't know, 14, 15, 16 at the time, whose stepfather uh, sexually exploited her. Yeah. And she went from that to the porn industry um, when she was no longer a minor and said that, well, now I get paid for it. So I feel it's okay. Yeah. It's like you can, these traumas happen to you, but I can control the narrative now. Right. And, you know, I looked at that and I thought, but to some degree, you're still being exploited. Yes, you're being paid, but you're still being exploited. And I don't know that you would have made these choices had it not been for the sexual abuse and the molestation. Sure. So I, I don't know. It, it's, it, it gets uh, pretty complex. I think every, every story of how someone arrives in that industry is different. I think some, some are pretty yep. ugly. Some are maybe not be ugly, ugly on the individual level, but are sort of ugly from a societal level. And some are not that ugly. Agreed. Agreed. There, there's a range. But, but my view certainly was shaped by my experience through this young, uh, yeah. well, first girl and then come woman. I, I, uh, I always thought I could date a porn star. Like I've, I've got the temperament to be able to date a porn star and not, and not deal with jealousy issues and not. Well, you had an open marriage for a while. <laughs> I don't know if that's the same thing, Gary. Well, no, no, it's not the same. But, but what it is, it, it, <laughs> I'm not equating. I'm not equating an open marriage with dating a porn star. I feel like that's like I'm but, a great chess player, so I might be a great wrestler too. You know? No, but no, but it's to say that you're comfortable with uh, alternative lifestyles. Alternative lifestyles, multiple partners. Sure. Sure. That, 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 that's where I'm coming from. Because that's not everyone's cup of tea either. And, and again, you know, I say all of that not judgmentally. I've worked with many folks. They've had um, open marriages, uh, uh, practice polygamy, and it works for them because they're both... Polyamory. Polyamorous. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a Mormon. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, it works for some people. It doesn't for others. And, and I Exactly. People are quick to point at those that it doesn't work for. Uh, no, but it, I've seen it has worked for others. And the, the thing is, are you, can you be open and transparent and loving and caring? And, and in a, are you on the same page with this? Okay. Consenting adults, do what the hell you want. You're not hurting anyone else. Do whatever you want. Just do it lovingly. <laughs> uh, Gary... This got weird today. I'm I'm into it. This is the the weird. But salacious. this is good. These are some of the conversations that are hard to have on public radio. Uh, and that's why we brought you here. Yeah, Gary, thank you for being here. Uh, you know when we were doing this on commercial radio, it was a pleasure then, and it's an absolute pleasure now, David. Now I can say go fuck yourself. No, I'm kidding, Gary. Uh, among my favorite people to talk to. Take care of yourself. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.